Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Today on Give First, I'm really excited to catch up with Sharon Schneider. She was in an Accelerate Labs accelerator program back in 2012. And if you're a Techstars historian and you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that Techstars acquired Accelerate Labs and it's now all part of the family in Techstars Chicago. But Moxygene was her company back in 2012, was later acquired in 2015, I think. And she's since gone on to do lots of things around impact and philanthropy and has a book coming out and she's a Techstars mentor. Welcome, Sharon. How's it going? Great. Thank you so much. It's great to see you again. It's been a while. It's been a while. I want to jump into your background because it's an interesting one and sort of where you started, the startup for-profit thing in the middle and how that went and then what you're doing today. So maybe walk us through that journey a little bit. Yeah, I actually started in philanthropy at one of the biggest foundations in the country called the Pew Trusts. And I had never heard of them at the time. I was 22, 23 in grad school and started as an intern. And at the end of the summer, they said, you want a job? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I sort of fell into philanthropy very early, did strategy and evaluation for them. So social change strategy and was recruited by a tech startup actually called Foundation Source that manages private foundations. So they would do all of your taxes and compliance and your grants administration, and I would advise the families. And that's where I really first got exposed to entrepreneurship because probably 60-70% of our clients were entrepreneurs who had built a business, ended up selling it for you know maybe $50 million, $100 million. And as they were older, and then put some of that money into a foundation. But they still thought like entrepreneurs. And they just really viewed money as a tool. Like, how do I use this tool that I have? They didn't think of themselves as a grant maker, right? They thought of themselves as still trying to solve problems. And so all their crazy ideas, it was my job to figure out how to go make that happen. And so I learned a lot about the nuts and bolts of philanthropy, but also the beginning of impact investing. We didn't call it impact investing at the time, but they would say, gee, I'm on the board of this car sharing startup in San Francisco, and they just expanded their fleet, and they have $240,000 in insurance payments due. They want me to give them a grant. Could I give them a loan instead out of my foundation? And I would say, let me go check with the lawyers and the experts and come back and say, yeah, it turns out you can. That's called a recoverable grant. And so they'll pay you back 20000 a year, put the interest in their own savings. So in the, the next year, they'll be in a much better position to either borrow money from a bank if they need to, or be able to pay it out of their, their membership base, which they've grown over that. So those kinds of ideas just really got me interested in impact investing and social entrepreneurship, where the company itself is solving the problems instead of the company creates the problems. And then we take a little bit of the money that it makes to try to solve them. 
it was after being there for about seven or eight years, I said, I want to try this entrepreneurship thing and jumped ship to start my own for-profit social enterprise called Moxie Jean. Actually, it was called Good Karma Clothing for Kids when we first started. That's a long name. (laughs) And David, the sad part is Good Karma, Good Karma Clothing, Good Karma, everything was taken. So I had to get like goodkarmaclothingforkids.com. That's a long URL. I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn. And somehow I, it was actually in the beginning, it was a subscription box. The idea was kids go through seven sizes of clothing in the first two years. So we'll send you the current size. And then when they're done, send it back. We'll reuse what we can and we'll send you the next size up. During our time at Accelerate, um, we pivoted to a kind of straight resale model, which wasn't nearly as clever but was much more successful and popular because then parents and moms in particular didn't have to worry about taking care of the clothes. Just we'll sell them to you. When you're done, if anything's good still, you can sell it back, but there's no sort of sense of obligation. Yeah, so that was that was 2012 and grew the business. And so it was a real sideline for me. I mean, everything from, I remember <laughs> the first week of Accelerate Labs and Troy Hennikoff was our managing director and is still a good friend. And we were talking about the pricing or, or something about what was the value prop? You know, did moms like it because it was green or did they like it because it saved money? And he was like, well, you just need to A-B test it. And, and I, I finally stopped him after he said this probably three or four times. I was like, I'm sorry, what do you mean by A-B test? Right. <laughs> so make sure we explain what do you mean? Because people are listening and saying, what do you mean? Yeah. So what what we did was we set up some Google AdWords with two different messages, right? One was a message around the green aspect of reusing clothes. And the other was a message around the money you would save by, you know, doing the subscription model. And then we put, I think, $600 behind it, each ad to see which got more clicks, which got more conversions, which was the more responsive. And at the end of that test, actually, the results were pretty clear, which was that we got zero conversions off of either message, which is at what point we realized we needed to pivot. To C, whatever C is, apparently. Yes, yes. And C was not a subscription model. C was the straight resale. So yeah, it it was a great learning experience around all of the aspects of customer acquisition costs and lifetime value and financial models and direct deal due diligence and sort of all those wonderful startup concepts that were very foreign to a social change strategist. It's funny, you know, Troy Hennikoff still peddling that same advice over at Venture <laughs> Partners today in Chicago. But, I, you know, I'm sure Sam Yegan and, and Farsht and all those guys that were involved are still in your network and, and part yeah. of it. Talk, talk about the power of that network. And, you know, today you're still referring entrepreneurs to Techstars, you're still mentoring in, in some contexts along with the other work you're doing. But how did your network grow around that time? I imagine it was a pretty different network. It was. I mean, we were lucky to be in Accelerate Labs in 2012, the year that 1871 opened as well. And we were in residence there. And so we were probably one of the first dozen entrepreneurs. And and really, it's created a center of gravity between Techstars, the program, and, and being in that physical location together just absolutely exploded my network of people thinking about sort of solving problems using kind of mathematical formulas, if you will. So, you know, the whole lean startup mantra around rapid feedback loops and testing and everything's an experiment. And actually, we also got to work with IDEO during that time as part of Accelerate. They came in every week and and talked to us through some 
design challenges we were having and helped us be a more customer-centric organization. And so everybody from the mentors in that program who became our investors, who became my kitchen cabinet of advisors for my personal and business life was just a fantastic expansion of my worldview that actually has made me really, really valuable contributor today. Because being able to combine the worlds of having been an operator, you know, having been an entrepreneur and operating business, having been a philanthropic kind of grant maker and social change strategist, and then impact investing and, you know, being on the other side of that due diligence and deal structuring, you don't get a lot of people that have seen all of those things. And so for me, the kind of Techstar startup experience is a really wonderful compliment, even though I wouldn't call myself like a startup person today, but it was just a fantastic compliment to my other skills and my other experiences in my career. It's funny, uh, you mentioned 1871. I just, before we were recording this, got their 10-year anniversary email that they're now 10 years in. So what a cool scene that's turned into in Chicago. You talked about combining some of this you know, impact before people knew that was a thing you could do to make profit as well as do good in the world, which we now understand today. You talked about combining these things, you know, the sort of for-profit mentality, philanthropy, right, impact, all these things. You've integrated all of that in your career which you've touched on, and you've created a new book, which I think pulls some of that stuff to the surface that you call Handbook for an Integrated Life. Talk about the genesis of the idea for creating that book and you know, high level what it's all about. So in philanthropy, what happened over the last 20 years was people used to look at a foundation. And that was the, that was the entity. If we thought about who's doing good work, oh, it's foundations do good work. Business is business. You know, charities do like the good work. But people started to look at a foundation and say, well, you have a 5% distribution requirement, right? You have to give away 5% of your assets each year in the form of like grants. And then they sort of say, but, but what are you doing with the 95%? How is that furthering the same impact goals? Or is it actually working against it? And the famous example was, I want to say the Gates Foundation that was doing environmental grant making, but invested in big oil. And they were sort of saying, is the 95% at least complementing the 5%. And then my consulting work over time and what I do today with families and, and family offices and founders is sort of to even go beyond that and to say, well, what about your personal portfolio? Is that also aligned with the values and you know with the impact you want to have? Or you own five properties, you know, and one of them is a farm and is that operated? Or you have this operating business and how is that aligned with your values? So it really is about expanding the aperture beyond your charity budget to say, what about all the rest of the assets in my life? And I realized a year or two ago when I was I started writing this book was the same is true for, for me as a non, non-billionaire, non-ultra-high-net-worth like person, is that I also have all of these assets in my life that can either be aligned or not aligned with my overall fundamental value. And for me, that fundamental value, I call just shared prosperity. The idea that I, of course, want to be healthy and happy and my family to be healthy and happy, but I want your family, I want the people that grow our food and that work in our restaurants and that teach our kids, like I want them to be healthy and happy too. And yet if you're just floating along on mainstream American culture, no, my friend, that is not what you are getting, right? You are getting a very me first maximize benefit for yourself all the time kind of approach. And so this idea of taking your value and being conscious about how you integrate it into every area of your life 
for everyday people really became the genesis of the book. So the first half is a set of principles that sort of apply and create a a roadmap or more like a compass really of, of directionally how to live that value. And then the second half is applying it to all those different areas. So there's a chapter on food and there's a chapter on clothing. There's a chapter on money. There's a chapter on work and relationships and celebrations. And so it's like the more we can activate all of those parts of our lives, most people have maybe thought about one, like maybe they're very environmentally conscious, but they've never thought about like where they do their banking and who has their mortgage, or maybe they've never thought about their clothes and or just their consumption in general. And so there's lots of entry points for people. And a lot of people are, are doing one or more. And I think I'm really just trying to bring that together into an overall philosophy that allows you to continue to make positive changes in your life and live in alignment with your own values. Awesome. The beginning first half of the book that talks about the seven principles uh, for an integrated life, one of them really jumped out at me. Uh, We're on the Give First podcast. You call it, don't give back, just give. Talk about what that means to you and how how you sort of explain it in the book. Yeah. Being in philanthropy, you hear a lot of calls to give back, right? Now it's your chance to give back. And that always kind of rankled me, I think, because I've sort of heard in that an assumption that first you had taken you know, give, like take first and then give back. And I thought, well, what if you take it? You know, is it that you take an opportunity and make a lot of money? Wonderful. You take advantage of lax environmental regulations and exploit a workforce to, you know, enrich yourself. That's less good. You know, like what is it that you took along the way? The typical dynamic of giving back implies that you must accumulate for yourself first. And then when you've reached some magical point of enough, which by the way, most people never reach, then you will decide a small portion that you will give back. And instead, the idea of just give is to give along the way so that we are all winning along the way instead of maximizing everything for your own benefit. Can you make things win-win along the way? And so for me, that means like, Everything from, I do pay more for local, for organic, for fair trade, because I view that as giving along the way rather than trying to get the cheapest thing. Or I tip, I'm I'm like a ridiculous over tipper because I'm like, if I can afford to go out to eat, then I can afford to tip you, you know, at least 25% because it means a lot more to you than it does to me. So that to me was really important counterpoint to the prevailing philanthropy narrative of give back. Yep. And in, in startup land, it's sort of like often said, pay it forward, which is tech stars you've, you've heard and seen, you know, hashtag give first. This is the podcast we're on. The first is very intentional. It's a value we try to instill in entrepreneurs. And on this very podcast, we had Keith Coleman, who's an entrepreneur that had been through Techstars Accelerator, the company called Fraudmark. We talked in depth about, look, that doesn't mean like wait until you're successful. It, it also doesn't mean you have to give big. You can give a little, right, as a startup that has most of its time being spent on just staying alive, homeostasis, right? Yeah. Uh, It's not that this giving thing is really something that only makes sense for people that have quote unquote made it. And so the idea of giving first, very powerful, just giving, very similar idea. So love that in the book. The other principle that really jumped out at me was this know your power principle, which I think is about sort of money and, you know, what you spend and how that reflects on who you are. I have my own experience with that having really changed my thinking, I don't know, seven or eight years ago after reading a book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. But I want to hear your perspective on this and and how you sort of lay it out in the book. 
Yeah. So know your power is sort of similar to how foundations went from thinking they had their 5% is what they had to work with. In our personal lives, I kind of think of it the same way, which is beyond sort of money you give to charity. And I would even argue more powerfully, if you look at all the money that's passing through your household every year, whether it's groceries, clothing, entertainment, your mortgage, your electric bill, your gas bill, what you spend money on for celebrations, how you think about travel, all of these dollars, you know, as they say, every investment is an impact investment. It's just a question of what's the impact. It's sort of the same with like consumer purchase. You know, every one of them has an impact. It's just the question of what is the impact. And if you think of it, even the most modest budgets, you know, the most modest household, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars passing through your household. And then beyond that, know your power also means like that startup you mentioned, you know, those people have expertise, right? They have time and attention. They have social networks. They have voting power. Oh my God, vote everybody out there. You got to vote. It's so much more than the money we give to charity. And I would even argue that's the kind of the tip of the iceberg. Here's another example for you. One of my clients today is a is a operating um, boutique hotel, and we were talking about some programming they were doing for Pride Month coming up in June. And I was like, "That's fantastic! Events are fantastic. Let's talk about like what are your HR policies and how are they friendly or not friendly to LGBTQ families? Let's talk about your bathroom situation, whether you have things that make everybody feel comfortable or leave somebody wondering, you know, where do I belong here? Right? Let's talk about." you know, a code of conduct and, and the forms, your HR forms and whether they have boxes for male and female or whether they have other boxes for other choices. And, you know, to me, it's not always about spending money. It's about intentionally looking at all the places you can live into that value, whether it's financial, consumer, personal, social, etc. So just all of the above. The book gets into the second half, sort of, you know, applying those principles in, in the real world. And, and I know by now people want to know how they get their hands on it. So you can go to theintegratedlife.com, July 18th, 2022, if you're listening to this at some random time. That's the release date coming up very soon. So excited to read it myself. And uh, the teaser is a good one. Uh, it gets you interested in the topic. So all of that, Sharon, has led you to uh, not only the book, but what you're doing today with Integrated Capital Strategies. Talk about your world today and how you're helping companies apply this to what they're doing in, in the real world. Yeah. So both companies and, as I said, individuals like family offices, providing high-level frameworks to help them think about and, and make choices and consciously make decisions to, again, bring more assets in line. And what I will say about that is for people that are already at a certain level of wealth, a pretty significant level of wealth, I think there's been, in the past, the assumption was all the advice you want and all the consultants are there to either continue to increase your wealth, maximize wealth, and minimize taxes. And today's sort of successful entrepreneurs and next generation they actually care about other things as much as that, as much as increasing their own wealth. And yet they're stuck in a system of advisors that will continue to give them solutions that are about tax savings or are about you know maximizing their own wealth. And so I really sort of try to help them disrupt that system of advice by articulating and developing a framework of what their priorities are. So that could be something like privacy. But it could also be like 
maximizing impact. It could be whether you want to manage a staff of 50 or whether you really only want like five people that you're very close to. And so how you're going to structure your impact organization or your business or your your family office, whatever the entity in question is, really, the as I said, the default has been tax and wealth. And we're trying to introduce a different way that that puts different values and priorities at the top. And then still, you know, taxes might still be on the list. It just might be sixth. You know, it's not first. And so that opens up then uh, a framework for due diligence and pipelining on how you invest your money, for example, that might say, well, the most tax advantaged way to do it might be X, but I think I can have a bigger impact on this company or I can help them maintain their vision if I do it a different way or through a different vehicle. And so it's really helping people to operationalize their impact objectives into whatever organization that they're looking to to operationalize. Incredible. One of the things I love about doing this show, especially when I talk to an alum of an accelerator, you know, maybe from 10 years ago or something, it's always amazing to see what people end up doing later and the impact they end up having. And that's a huge source of pride for me personally, because there are 3000 companies that have been through the accelerators now. And yeah, there's all the, you know, wealth creation and, and success and you had, you know, Moxygene and that, you know, had its nice outcome and you've sort of gone on to do something that really matters and it's your way of continuing to give, mentor others, make the world a better place. And I think that's what the TechStars Network is so full of that that makes me just really proud to be around. So thanks for everything you're doing in that regard. And thanks for sharing your story on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for everything you guys did to kind of get me to this place. Believe me, I was a babe in the woods and I've used those skills and used that network and knowledge and hopefully, yeah, to make the world a little bit better. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First.